All right. <laughs> we got to work on that fade out. All right, good morning, everybody. Right out of the gate, that's one of my father-in-law's favorite things to say, right out of the gate, I want you to think of something and hang on to it. So I'm going I'm to say a word and just hang on to whatever comes with the thoughts that, it, that you respond with, okay? Vulnerable. Okay, think for a second. What's your first kind of response to that? Vulnerable. My first response is the word helpless. Um, yeah, feeling helpless, I would say. It's a situation where you feel, feel helpless. So that's what comes to mind for me. And speaking of helpless, I have a little story to get us started. So as many of you know, we have the privilege as, uh, as a church and as church leadership to be part of a, a few church planting networks, which is um, such a big part of why we're here today is, is outside funding and support. One of the networks is called Orchard Group. Um, and Orchard Group is a church planting organization that um, started in New York City and they've been planting in cities uh, for many years. Um, and they're a great partner for us. And here in a minute here, we're going to put a, a picture of a recent trip that we took. So um, part of the deal, part of the you know, gifts we get through being part of this network uh, at Orchard Group is that they, uh, they have large existing churches who have finances and who give money to send all of these people here. These are all church planters from all over the world, all over the world. We've got India, we've got Paris, We've got Harlem, we've got Brooklyn, we've got, of course, Silver Spring, a few Maryland. And some of these people in here are people who have become good friends of ours because we've had these retreats that they've sent us on, which is what you see here. We've done these retreats and these trips, and you know, there are special things that happen when you go overnight with someone. And this is the most recent trip. We went to Miami uh, a few weeks ago, um, and it, it was Funded, with the exception of our flights, it was funded um, by these outside churches, outside churches who all brought us there. And it was a really amazing time. It's just a couple of days in the sun right after Christmas, so, which is a nice treat, especially for a lot of these pastors who are doing several services, and it's a busy time. So it's nice to come together and slow down. So we got to do that. We're in Miami, and on the very last day, we've always booked our trip to get back really as late as we could because we wanted to enjoy the day as long as we could. And every year we've gone shopping or to restaurants or hung out with friends. Um, but this year was our last trip with them. And so we decided that instead of going out, we were just going to hang out by the pool all day. Um, and it was heaven. It was amazing. Our flight didn't take off until about nine o'clock that night. So we had several hours just to hang around the pool. The great thing about this hotel is that they have this sort of uh, restroom area right outside the pool for people who do just what we did. You know, we're checked out of our room, so we can't get ready there. But they have a situation where we can get cleaned up in their own bathroom before we have to depart. So after this long, amazing day in the sun and the mojito and some tacos and all kinds of horrible pool food, um, I went to the bathroom to, to change and, and freshen up to go back to Maryland. So I'm in the bathroom and I walk in and there's these two young women about my age who are, I'm young, they're young. There are these two women at it doing what I was 
just about to do. They're putting on their makeup. They're cleaning up. They've clearly been hanging out at the pool all day. And they're just, you can tell they know each other. They're gabbing away. And uh, rather than kind of get in their way, I see that there is a handicap stall right behind them, probably from me to Phil right here, okay? Maybe not even that far. And uh, in the stall, there's a sink and everything to get ready. So I decide to just go in there and do my makeup and get ready in there rather than interrupt their, their girl time they were having. So I go in the bathroom. I've changed my clothes. And I'm ready to, to get out. Aaron's waiting outside for me in the hallway. And I bend over to pick up my bag. And a short but loud fart came out. Um, <laughs> I'm fine with that. We all fart. Okay? The awkward thing wasn't the farting as much as it was the fact that the women immediately stopped talking (laughs) and then didn't say a word the entire time they were in there (laughs) until they left. (laughs) I felt kind of helpless, and so I stayed in the stall. because I didn't want to create the awkward moment of smiling at them, knowing that they knew I just farted. So uh, They left after three or four minutes, but it was the longest three or four minutes of silence ever. So it was kind of a vulnerable moment. But throughout this series, we've been talking about, this is the Epiphany series, and we've been talking about um, things that we believe that Jesus is coming illuminates for us. And we have prayed throughout this series about what we felt like the Lord needed to say to us as a community. And, um, and today I get to talk about vulnerability. I'm excited to do this. And I feel like, um, I think this is an area that's maybe been dark or a little unclear for our community. I've been studying our people and listening to our people and listening to our community and kind of paying closer attention um, with this message in mind for the past few weeks, trying to kind of collect where we're at and what what Jesus has to say to us. I've prayed about it. Um, And I think there are two facets of vulnerability that we struggle with that we need to talk about today. So maybe you relate to one, maybe you relate to both. Um, So I'm going to list these off. See what these spring up for you. Maybe they match the word that you were thinking of a few minutes ago. So first, people are so blinded by their own plans and what they're doing, their own path that they've sort of created, um, that they cannot fathom stepping into an unknown situation and outside of that plan. We are so fixed on whatever our goals are, and achieving those goals. It's a very American thing to do, to set a goal and do what you can to get there, and nothing stops you, right? Because you're so set on that goal. And unfortunately, it makes it difficult for us to listen when God calls us out of that. So that, that's kind of one area we'll talk about this morning. And the other one, to be honest with you, this is the one that stings because I certainly struggle with this. And it should sting you because you do too. I know a lot of you do. And that is, we have trouble admitting our faults. We have trouble admitting our areas of weakness. Um, Not just admitting it, but acknowledging it to ourselves and to others. We have a hard time uh, admitting when something difficult is, is going on because 
as a lot of leaders in here, we certainly don't want to be perceived that we can't do what we're trying to do, right? So we have a difficult time verbalizing, admitting, sharing with ourselves and with others those areas of, of junk. So this could be an entire sermon series, and we still wouldn't scratch the surface of it. So I'm not going to sit here and promise you that um, we're going to bring light to these things, but I'm not going to have all the answers. And I implore you to take this. If something strikes a note, if God speaks to you this morning about something specific, don't take my word for it and don't make this message all you do to do anything about it. Respond to it. Do something with it. Okay? So hang on to that and be thinking about what God's trying to say to you through this. So uh, about a week ago, I asked the very question that I just asked you on Facebook. I'm not, you know, a clinical researcher. I don't have many tools to do a lot of surveying, but we do have Facebook, um, which actually was really helpful. So I asked two questions about vulnerability a few weeks ago, um, and it was really um, hard to read some of the responses because naturally that word springs up some big, deep things for people. And uh, even on Facebook, a few people shared some pretty deep, vulnerable things. Um, But the thing throughout all the answers, which were so good, the thing that was sown through every single one of those responses, and I had about 60, was the word fear or pain or worry. And this was really, really common. And it was people saying, that it reminded them of the times that they had been vulnerable and they either felt rejected or had hurtful responses. And it keeps them from being vulnerable. So we tend to associate that word with something that is negative or difficult or painful. And I think God wants to shed light on this word and redeem it and show you what the truth of vulnerability really is and show that it's a strength and not a weakness. So first, I have some things on the screen. I'm going to encourage you to get your pen out and take notes. This is the way that we personalize things. I'm sorry to be that person. I'm not sorry to be that person. Take notes. It's a good thing to do, especially if, if you feel God speaking to you. So here's our first note. So here's what vulnerableness is not. It is not fear. Put that on the screen. By the way, vulnerableness is a word. I looked it up, okay? It's, it's not fear, right? We know that, but we don't know that. I saw that in all of these responses. Some of you responded. It's not fear. So let's dive into these two different areas here. Okay, so some of us are too focused on our plan that we can't fathom stepping into anything unknown even when he calls us. Jesus calls us to listen and obey him and trust him, but we struggle to really listen because we're too busy implementing our plans and we don't want to be interrupted, right? We can find time to listen to God when it's not interrupting us, when it's not getting in the way of something. We have a hard time with that. One of the responses on that uh, Facebook poll, somebody wrote just an infant just a baby. That was what they thought of when they thought of vulnerable. And that's a pretty good answer if you think about it, because here is this creature who is ultimately the epitome of, of vulnerable because 
They have no ability to defend themselves or to make decisions or do anything on their own. They are completely in the hands of someone else. We're adults. We've seen horrible things happen to children, and we've seen beautiful things happen to children. So we know that's a really vulnerable place to be. And this is a place that none of us would ever want to be in. We don't trust people. We don't want to be in a place where we're completely in somebody else's hands. And so when he calls us into something unknown, something that uh, goes against what we've already learned, the wisdom we've already gained, when he calls us outside of that, we either say no because it doesn't make sense or because we simply aren't listening. We say we believe in Jesus. We say we trust him. We say that he's a truth teller. Yet we actively pursue a daily lifestyle of proving just the opposite because we're worried that if we don't take this step, then this perfect thing won't happen. Or if we don't do that one thing, then this plan will not come into place. Right? I mean, we all do it. It's natural. That's how we live life. We make plans. We follow through on them. Things happen. Right? But we worry about them. We get anxious and we get so protective of these plans and of these steps that we're taking um, that b- creeps up and becomes this um, fearful endeavor. But Jesus thinks that our worrying and our overplanning is laughable because we can't just guarantee anything. Um, nothing. Even when we make the best plans. You can even say, you could turn on a light switch expecting it to turn on and it might not. Same thing for any decision you ever make in any plan and every step you ever take. There is absolutely, there's no human way possible that any one of you guys, as educated and smart and and wise that you are, none of you can guarantee anything. It's just not possible. We think, we we live in a way that we expect to have things go the way we we think they're going to go. But Jesus says, oh, that's funny, you have no idea. You have no idea what really can happen. Let's, uh, let's open up some gospel here and see what Jesus has to say about this. I'm going to put a, a verse on screen. Open up your Bibles, if you will, with me to Matthew chapter 6. So we struggle to be vulnerable to God in such a way that we would put our whole life in his hands. Instead, we invite him into the pieces that we're not trying to control, right? So we have an issue with that. And it turns into worries and fears, and eventually, instead of the Holy Spirit guiding our life, our worries and our fears do. So let's look at this, this verse. Where was the music? I needed it for a second. Oh, well. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. I'm going to read that part again because I want you to internalize that. Look at the birds of the air. They don't store. They don't reap. 
I'm sorry, they don't sow, they don't reap, and they don't store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them, he cares for them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. This is not news. You guys have heard this very message preach and talk about in so many different ways. This isn't new. But it's still relevant. I know it. I see it. I feel it in my own life. This is, this is still something that's a, a struggle for us. So we talked about what vulnerableness isn't. Let's talk about what it is. Put on the screen here. What vulnerableness is, is enjoying freedom and practicing faith. Fear means you have something to lose. If we live in a place of fear and we don't open our lives up to God's calling because we're too afraid that it's not, he's not going to take care of us, that's implying that we believe we have something to lose. But you have nothing to lose and everything to gain in the kingdom of heaven. Nothing to lose. True or false? The goal of vulnerability is to bring you peace. True or false? So that goes into our next area of vulnerability that I think that we are struggling with. We have a difficult time unveiling our weaknesses, our pains, our history, our failures, our fears, because that's very anti-cultural to do that. Why would you ever do that? Why would you ever divulge to people that you have failed? Because if they know you failed, they might not want to do business with you. They might not want to follow your leadership. They might not want to be friends with you. They might not love you, right? If they knew all of this stuff, they might not think that you are as, as great as they've been saying that you are once they actually find out what's going on in there, right? It's unwise, it's too painful, and it slows us down to be vulnerable with others in that sense. Let's see what the gospel has to say about this. Well, first some Proverbs. I'm going to throw up some verses. I'll be honest, I'm way more comfortable taking a section of scripture and teaching through it. But today, this is some good stuff. If any of these verses stick out for you, underline them in your Bible, okay? Proverbs 28, verse 13. A man who refuses to admit his mistakes can never be successful. 
But if he confesses and forsakes them, he gets another chance. James 4.10 says, Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up in honor. James 5.16 says, Admit your faults to one another and pray for each other so that you may be healed. So vulnerableness is enjoying freedom and practicing faith. When you confess or acknowledge these things, it's empowering. It's an empowering thing to do. It's freeing because it's not buried and you don't have to work so hard to hide it. You can work harder at good things and less at keeping that stuff from hurting you. It's hurting you being stuck in there. My biggest issue with this is if I'm hanging on to any of these things, I bury it and compact it. Down below, I just don't think about it, right? At least I think I'm not thinking about it. I'll do anything if the pain springs up. I'll just do something to numb it because it's not productive to be, to be sitting in that pain. It doesn't help me, so why think about it, right? However, it's still sitting there, unsolved, unhealed, and not in the light. And yet when you share something about yourself, when you acknowledge something so deep that's inside of you, it is so freeing because it's not sitting there anymore. Okay, true or false, the goal of vulnerability is to bring you peace. It'd be great if this whole message was just about, hey, be vulnerable and you'll feel really good. And culturally right now, vulnerability is something that is really celebrated. So like I said, none of this stuff is news to you because it's, it's pretty relevant for people to be vulnerable. Some of the most um, famous and popular writers and bloggers and speakers right now are there because they have found ways to just be themselves and put themselves out there and, and everything is about self-acceptance and that's a beautiful wonderful empowering thing but that's not the end goal vulnerability is not the end goal because it's not about you it's a great beautiful thing to be free and feel that power but that's the journey to heaven being vulnerable isn't the end goal it's the journey the goal of vulnerability is to bring heaven to earth. The goal of opening yourself up, bringing to light whatever it is that you think you have control over but you really don't, is bringing heaven to earth. And here's how. We're going to take a look at a Henry Nouwen quote. This is actually a quote that Aaron sent me. He's really into Henry Nouwen right now. Nobody escapes being wounded. We are all wounded people, whether physically, emotionally, mentally, or spiritually. The main question is not how can we hide our wounds so we don't have to be embarrassed, but how can we put our woundedness in the service of others? When our wounds cease to be a source of shame and become a source of healing, we've become wounded healers. Jesus is God's wounded healer. Through his wounds, we are healed. Jesus' suffering and death brought joy and life. His humiliation brought glory. His rejection brought a community of love. As followers of Jesus, we can also allow our wounds to bring 
healing to others. So here's the why, because ultimately this is the biggest snag to vulnerability. We often struggle to see the benefit of it. We think it's all well and good to feel good about yourself. That's fine, but I don't need it, right? I don't, I don't need that. But the truth of it is that it's not for you that it's important to do that. It's for the benefit of the kingdom. Do we believe in bringing the kingdom of heaven to earth? If so, then we shall see it as a kingdom where we can risk everything because Jesus risked everything. Our willingness to be vulnerable, to open up our lives to others, and to obey when he calls us to follow blindly is the very proof of faith. So what I'm saying here today is, boldly, but ashamedly, is that we, if we are living a life that is not vulnerable to the Lord, that is not vulnerable to others, but we claim to follow Jesus, and we claim to believe that he is Lord and everything he said he was, then we're liars. And we're living dishonestly. So they don't go together. About a year ago, I uh, went with a handful of you and a few people who weren't here today to Greece, just as Aaron mentioned earlier. This was our third trip. I think it was the third, Restore's third trip. Um, it was a year ago in March. Uh, it's a great trip. It was pretty impactful. And um, Aaron had been twice, and so I was personally excited to go and see what he had seen. And um, he was so excited when he came back, and it was just, I was excited to go for that very reason. I wanted to connect with my husband and what was burdening his heart. However, I learned some powerful things there that I certainly wasn't expecting or planning on. Um, and one of them, one of the things I think that I walked away with that was really powerful for me, because I struggle with vulnerability. I do. I'm I'm an open and honest person. That doesn't mean I'm vulnerable. But I learned something from a, a woman that I met there. Um, the second day that I was there, I'll put a picture on, on the screen so you can get a little kind of an idea. Uh, I met a, a couple of young girls actually first. Um, we were in this place um, called Faros, and Faros had these two kind of clinics. There are areas for women and children to come and have tea and have cookies. And they had doctors come in every now and then, I think a couple times a week. Um, and they received all this for free. Um, and then there was a section and one of them where um, some older kids could, not older kids, kids of all ages really could, could come. The moms could kind of have a break. They could take showers and clean up. We had showers there. Um, and we'd have some adults watching the kids. And so when we arrived, I was really excited to be with the kids. And so I sat at this table. Now, there is an interpreter there, so that was really helpful. But, you know, there's a lot of different language in these refugees. They're from all over the Middle East. Um, and I, I couldn't speak Farsi, but that seemed to be what most of them were speaking. But the translator was really helpful. And I was talking to these adorable little girls who immediately were, like, clinging on to us. Very touchy. As soon as, as, soon as you show them any kind of affection, they're all over you like a puppy dog. It's the most beautiful, precious, heartwarming thing. And then I ended up talking to their older sister, who was a teenager. She was, uh, I think she was 14. 
And she was trying to tell me a little bit of her story. She looked very sad. They had just arrived a few days previous. Um, she told me that she was one of four girls and one little brother. And um, that she had been in the hospital. And she was trying to point to her stomach and say that she had had some significant kidney damage, essentially. It was really sad to hear that. And her mom saw her speaking to me. And her mother comes from the other side of the, of the space to come and meet and sit with me too. And she sits down with me and um, is immediately affectionate. You know, I think she sees that I'm connecting with her little girls and um, you can see in her mother's heart that that was comforting for her. That's just what she needed. And she sits down and she proceeds to tell um, me that she had been on this journey, that they had taken them several months to get there. And she talks about how they, her brother-in-law worked for the government in Iraq and, um, and I guess her, I'm sorry, Afghanistan, excuse me. And I guess her, um, her brother-in-law was murdered in front of her, in front of her whole family. And then the same people that killed him burned down their family's house while they were still in it. Um, she, the kids escaped, but the, but she, the mother was last. And so, um, I'm sorry that I cannot show a photo of her. We've committed to not show pictures of their faces, but her skin was clearly had severe burn damage all over. And she said that she had been, their family had been trampled out of their home. Their daughter, the reason she was in the hospital is because she was trampled so badly uh, that it crushed some of her insides. Pretty scary, right? So they had spent a while in the hospital Finally, they had uh, healed enough that they could travel to Greece to be free. And then they are going through Beirut. They have all their belongings on them. And this woman who's, you know, fully clothed and protects her body very carefully um, as she was passing through Beirut was um, violated and felt up and had her money stolen from her. Her All their money was taken from them in Beirut. And so she's telling us the story and tears are coming down her face. I can tell you this. She wasn't telling me. I had nothing to give her. She knew that. I I didn't have anything to save her from what she'd experienced. She simply wanted to feel acknowledged. She just wanted somebody to know that she was hurting. She just wanted to feel human. One of the saddest things about these refugees, you guys, is that they're treated like animals. These are people, her and her husband were well-educated, lived in a nice home. Now they're treated like these insects coming over. She just wanted to feel human. And here she was opening this up to this stranger who she could gain nothing from. And it really opened my eyes because she and I believe very different religiously. We have nothing in common. We don't. We have totally different cultures, totally different family situations. But yet, I felt so connected to her and her family that every day after that, we would look for each other like we were long-lost family and embrace and hug and kiss. And here I felt so connected to this family because this woman shared her pain. She wasn't trying to impress anybody. She was being honest with who she is. What a lesson. And it wasn't 
about her. It was about us. And there in that space was a piece of heaven. That was a piece of heaven to bond and to have each other in those moments. The ultimate example of vulnerability, of course, is Jesus dying on the cross. And this very vulnerability is associated, like so many of us associate that word with, it's associated with excruciating, horrific pain. Not only from the wounds and the physical tearing up of his body that he suffered, but emotionally, these people who he was trying to love and give himself to, just like we do when we're trying to be vulnerable to people and we're trying to love people, those very people were chanting and cheering on these people as they tortured him. The very people he was trying to love. Oh, he put himself out there, guys. I often wonder, like, how come he didn't look at God and say, I am not stopping what I'm doing. I've done all this healing. I'm doing good stuff, God. My plan is to continue to heal people. I'm just going to keep going and healing the sick. I'm not going to, I don't need to do that. My plan is this. I know I can do it. Why would I stop that? Because God called him to. He suffered and he put himself out there for us. But what comes through that pain, what came through all of that for us was a free existence. That's beautiful. That's the beauty that comes through the pain and the vulnerability. Praise God for that. We're free because of that vulnerableness that brought our freedom. And that's the beauty that comes when we put ourselves out there for God. When you are vulnerable, when you let yourself be seen, truly seen in the situations that God calls you to, it leads to a free existence. Amen? All right. Let's stand and pray. God, we thank you so much for your word today.